0: Shalom and welcome to TanakhStudy.com. This is Ged Dishi from Alon Shvut. We are studying Parashat Vayishlach today. We'll be dealing with the massacre of Shechem. P- Perak Chaf Lamed Daled, Psukim Yud Gimel to Lamed Aleph. The section breaks down. Psukim Yud Gimel to Yud Zayin is the counterproposal of B'nai Yaakov. Psukim Yud Chet to Chaf Daled is the compliance of the townspeople. Psukim Chaf Hey and Chaf Vav describe the massacre. Psukim chaf to chavtet the pillaging. And Psukim lamed, lamed aleph, the interchange of Yaakov with Shimon and Levi. Psukim yud gimru yud zayin. Shechem aviv And the sons of Yaakov answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, deceitfully, and they spoke as they did because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to them, "We cannot do this thing to give our sister to a man who has a foreskin, as that is a disgrace for us." Only in this way, only in this way, may we agree with you. If you will be like us, every male, to be circumcised, Then we can give our daughters to you, and your daughters we can take for ourselves, and we can settle among you, and we become one nation. But if you will not listen to us to be circumcised, we will take our daughter and go. So we start off today with the key pasuk, the sons of Yaakov respond. Keep in mind that there are 11 of them. Yaakov is not included in this response. Uh, in order for them to have a single position, it means that there is a break in time when they discuss the matter amongst themselves. Indeed, in all passages in the Tanakh where things are being negotiated, like when the two and a half tribes are speaking with Moshe, or the Tzarei Yehuda'u Binyamin speak with Zeruvavel and Yehoshua kohen Gadol and Sefer Ezra Perek Gimel. The give and take is presented as a single dialogue, as if it occurs in a continuous flowing conversation. But in reality, there are gaps of time in between, hours, days, maybe even weeks, until that side formulates their position. It's important to realize that the formulations are well thought out. They're measured, akin to some statements issued by heads of state that undergo severe scrutiny before being issued. As I can attest from the legal world, or anyone can agree, that in all negotiations, it's not just what you say, but how you say it and when you say it, like what we noted about Yaakov, negotiating with Lavan or with his wives as he falsely empowers them by starting off with veatena yadaten or Atah Yadata, you know. The negotiations also require that you decide what you clearly defined and what you leave ambiguous, sometimes on purpose, and this type of measured response is what we have here. If for no other reason than to allow all 11 brothers to present a unified front, there needed to be a gap in time. Another important feature throughout Tanakh is that when we deal with joint statements, the ultimate formulation is perforce a composite statement, i.e. it means it includes multiple viewpoints and arguments for all the different people involved. Sometimes the claims can overlap or add to one another, and perhaps sometimes they may even be mutually exclusive. Therefore, Yaakov being omitted here is significant. On this point of Yaakov being omitted, the Radak explains that Yaakov knew they were going to lie so he did not want to lie himself, so did not take part of the joint statement. The Ramban explains that his children spoke in his place out of respect for their father, that he shouldn't have to deal with such low lives as Shechem and Hamor. And we can suggest that perhaps Yaakov was continuing to be passive, as implied by his silence, and so excluded himself from the deliberations, or he was excluded from the deliberations by the brothers, or he was part of the deliberations but was overruled by the brothers. From his later rebuke of Shimon and Levi, it seems that he was not part of the deliberations at all, as his later exclamation seems to be the first time he's airing his concerns, The Ramban suggests that Yaakov was indeed part of the deliberations and gave tacit agreement to the statement. But the original plan that he agreed with was that if the Hibbites do not circumcise themselves, then the Bnei Yaakov will be able to take Dinah. And if they do circumcise themselves, the people will be weak enough on the third day so that they'll be able to take Dinah home without resistance. This solution is somewhat problematic as the Tsukim implied that nothing was going to be happening on the third day were it not for Shimon and Levi acting as they did. And before resolving what the original plan was, let's look at another interesting feature of this pasuk. The pasuk tells us the sons of Yaakov answered deceitfully, B'mirmah. Again, a throwback to Yaakov stealing the brachot, as much as we try to forget about it, and even though Esav already seemingly forgave him, the reconciliation just happened, we continue to get the textual cues. And here the message is, I believe, quite powerful and clear, and that is that while Yaakov reconciled with Esav, the mode of dealing deceitfully has already been transmitted to his children just as the almost-stealing that Yaakov engaged in with the rod rubbed off on Rachel, who actually stole the Trafim. Uh, these are the only two times the word bermima is used in the Torah, and we also noted how it was related to the word velamma R'mitani, referring to the conjugal switch. So even repairing the underlying wrong of taking the brachot years later with a sav, that may not suffice if too much time passes and others around us absorb the negative message of the initial wrong. Bottom line, don't wait to make Teshuvah, do it now. So what was the deceit? So, spoiler alert for anyone who didn't already know, the sons proposed that the Hivites circumcise themselves and Shimon and Levi later kill all the men three days later after they carry out the circumcision. So the Rabbag explains that part of the deceit is that they already planned out from now that they will kill everyone on the third day. But that approach is problematic for a number of reasons. one, because it would anticipate full compliance with their demand to circumcise, which is absurd. Secondly, why is Yaakov later upset only with Shimon and Levi? If this was the plan from the get-go, then all the sons are to blame. Thirdly, if this is the plan, why didn't all the brothers go to kill the townspeople together with Shimon and Levi? And fourthly, if compliance is absurd, and we presume there there, there will be no compliance, and they are able to take Dinah, uh, where is the deceit? That's just following the deal. There is no deceit if they fail to comply. Therefore, I would suggest, similar to the Malbim's explanation, that the deceit is that they are making no mention of the rape. They fabricate a new reason as to why they won't give their sister to Shechem, which is, he's not circumcised. But that wasn't the reason at all. It was because he raped their sister. And this explains the somewhat disjointed Pasuk. They spoke in deceit, Asher timei ed dinah that seems to be a dangling ending to the pasuk. I would suggest that it needs to be understood as here the word asher, to be because, meaning they spoke deceitfully, because the real reason was because he raped their sister. Instead, they came up with this lie about circumcision. If this is the deceit, then the initial plan is that they offer circumcision, relying on the fact that there is absolutely no way that Shechem and Hamor can get all the inhabitants to perform circumcision and they will be able to take Zina without a fight. There is no plan to kill anyone, because there is no way to get a whole town of adults to agree to do Brit Mila all at once. Let's notice a few other changes the sons make from the original proposal of Hamor. Firstly, they totally ignore Shechem and his offer. Shechem himself as rapist is to be ignored, and his offer despised for trying to make up for his crime with money. We also see his impetuousness not only from the rape, but also from his jumping in on the negotiations and offering a blank check. So his offer to try to make things good with money is summarily rejected. And similarly, the lure of doing business in the land, and the possibility of gaining an achuzah, is also totally ignored. They totally leave that out. Their position is clear. Money will not be able to resolve the situation. They also word their reply that even with full compliance, dinah is to be left out of the deal. They do this as follows. They purposefully ambiguate the use of the word daughter. They say that if all the people circumcise, they will give their daughters, plural, meaning the daughters of the tribes, of the Bnei Yaakov, but not the daughter of Yaakov himself. And if they do not comply, they will take their daughter, here referring to Dina, and go. They purposefully want this confusion of whose daughters are whose. Also, even if there is full compliance, it is the side of Yaakov that gets to decide which daughters they give the Hivites and which they take from the Hivites, so they would still be able to veto Shechem from getting dinah. It is from here that we also see that the fact that Shechem is uncircumcised is just an excuse and is not the reason for not giving him dinah. For were that the reason, it would suffice that Shechem alone circumcise himself. The fact that they insist on everyone doing it is to exclude Shechem as an individual, and instead focus only on the national aspect, a ploy employed by Hamor in the hopes of saving some dowry money, but now being used against him. Furthermore, to pick note, the word Lakach appears a few times in the initial opener of the story, Vayikachota, it was referring to a forcible taking, and using that as our Binyan Av, as our precedent, we can understand, as Sternberg points out, that the words, et that if they do not circumcise themselves, then they, the Bnei Yaakov, will take by force, if need be, their daughter Dinah, and go. And this becomes a veiled threat to Hamor and Shechem. Pasuk Yud Het. Hamor uBeEne Shechem ben Hamor. And their words seemed good in the eyes of Hamor and in the eyes of Shechem, the son of Hamor. VeLo Echad Na Ala Sotah Davar Ki Chafetz BeBat Yaakov VeHu Nichbad Mikol Bet Aviv. And the lad lost no time in doing the thing, for he wanted Jacob's daughter, and he was most highly regarded of all his father's home. And Hamor with Shechem his son came to the gate of their town, and they spoke to their townsmen, saying, And Itanu, with the and to these men come in peace to us. Let them settle in the land and go about it, for the land look is ample before them. Their daughters we shall take us as wives, and our daughters we shall give to them. <laughs> Only in this way will the men agree to us, to settle with us to be one nation, if every male of us be circumcised as they are circumcised. <laughs> Lanuhem ach ne otalehem vyechevu itanu their possessions and livestock and all their cattle will they not be ours if only we agree to them and they settle among us vye shmi'u el hamor vye shechem beno kol yose eshar iro vye kol zakhar kol yose eshar iro And all who went forth from the gate of his town listened to Hamor and to Shechem his son. And every male was circumcised, all who went forth from the gate of his town. Returning back to Pasuk Yudchet, notice how Hamor and Shechem get equal weight in the Pasuk. It didn't say, be'ene Hamor u Shechem Beno, like we have a similar formulation in Pasuk Chaf. Here, each get their own be'ene in the eyes of, which leads us to believe that they each heard something else and it found favor in their eyes. Pasuk Yutet tells us what Shechem heard, which is what he wanted to hear, is how he can get dinah. He needs to be circumcised. And again, we see his impetuousness. He goes and does it right away, because he wanted Yaakov's daughter. Notice how even though he loves her, she's never dinah. She goes from being an object, to being a na'ara, to being a yalda, again to the na'ara. It's only the narrator that refers to her as Bat Yaakov in connection to Shechem. The text tells us he is the most respected of his household, so to set the example to people in advance, but again, this is impetuous, because it's only if it's only going to work if everyone does it. So the right thing to do might be to wait until everyone is ready to do it, and then be first and set the example. But he doesn't wait. And it's only fitting that the act of circumcision is chosen by the brothers as the excuse as it involves violence to the offending organ, midah k'neged midah. As Leon Cass points out, it also dovetails nicely with the understanding of Brit Milah, coming to dedicate procreation, to having children, to follow in God's ways, and curb animalistic sexual tendencies, all things that Shechem failed in doing. In Pasuch Ha'af, let's see how Shechem and Chamor spin the offer to the townspeople. And again, the word choice is going to be deliberate. They start off by saying, Hanashim ha'ele hem itanu, They're at peace with us, which is quite ironic. And this is meant to recall to the reader the opener, where the word Shalem appears, again, in peace. Chamor and Shechem present Yaakov and family as these people. Not a family, not Yaakov, not Dinah, no rape, no predicament that needs resolving, no veiled threat if they don't circumcise. They're at peace with us. They're just some anonymous people. It makes it much less threatening to the townspeople. And they make some subtle but significant changes. Originally, they offered Yaakov to do business and to gain an Ahuza a foothold, in the land. The Bnei Yaakov refused both. But in presenting to the townspeople, Shechem and Hamor reintroduced doing business, which is an economic incentive for the townspeople to agree. But they leave out the Ahuza, which would only upset the locals who don't like foreigners staking out an Ahuza in their land. Originally, they offered Yaakov that Yaakov give them his daughters, and Yaakov could take from their daughters. Here, they switched the order of giving and taking. It's reversed. The Chivites get to do the giving and taking. And again, taking may even insinuate by force, as the Abarbanel explains. They also omit the idea of it being a cherpa, a disgrace, of an aspect of not being circumcised. There's no need to repeat that insult. This also shows that it cut at them when the sons of Yaakov said it. However, they also make a major switch in that the sons of Yaakov made the daughter exchange conditional on everyone doing circumcision, as we see in P'sukim, Tetvav, and Tetzain. There it says, However, it is with this condition that we will agree to you. If you are to be like us to circumcise all males then we will give our daughters to you and your daughters we will take for ourselves and we will dwell with you and we will then become one nation. In stark contrast, when Shechem relates the matter to the townspeople, the daughter exchange precedes the condition of the circumcision. And the only event causally linked to the circumcision is that of becoming one nation. Look at Psukim Chaf Aleph these people are at peace with us and they will dwell in the land and will do business here and the land is vast before them. We shall take their daughters as wives and we shall give our daughters to them. However, it is with this condition that the people will agree to dwell with us to become one nation when we circumcise all our males as they are circumcised. So the only thing that's conditional according to Shechem and Chamor, on the circumcision is the idea of their dwelling together and becoming one nation. The other aspects of the daughter exchange and the economic incentives seem to have been jettisoned from the need to have circumcision. And after saying all of this until now, there's nothing that happens. The people are not ready to go ahead and get circumcised. And even though there is no formal break in the text, we can see that this is the case because the next sentence is one that seems to be said in total desperation and is a break from anything that they said before. I would even dare to guess that Shechem said it because he's the one who's really desperate and impetuous and he has to make this work. Suddenly we read in Pasuk Gimel that there's a new plan, which is that once the, all the people in the town are circumcised and they all become one nation, suddenly all the possessions of Yaakov will be nationalized. And then suddenly, once that is stated to the townspeople, Right? Anyone who went through the gate, everybody was getting circumcised. The word all, all is repeated three times in the same pasuk. It was all about the money. It's all too eager a response on the part of the townspeople for the economic gains. And this allows us to later justify the pillaging of the town as a midah Keneg midah, for they're trying to take all of Yaakov's wealth. The Abarbanel goes even further and imputes this knowledge to the sons of Yaakov themselves, perhaps based on the wording Ha'anashim Ha'ele, meaning these people, again, seeming like a pointing like we had with ha'yaldan Hazot. Perhaps they were there when Shechem and Hamor were trying to convince the townspeople. However, it seems highly unlikely that the sons of Yaakov would be present and allow the declaration having all their wealth be taken from them and not air any objections. Pasuch and it happened on the third day, while they were hurting, that Yaakov's two sons, Shimon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took each his sword and came upon the city unopposed, and they killed every male. And they killed every male. And Hamon and Shechem, his son, they killed by the edge of the sword, and they took Dinah from the house of Shechem and exited. It is here that we get a new description. No longer are they all B'nai Yaakov, but Shimon and Levi break from that group and become Dinah's brothers. In the act of their vengeance, they don their brotherhoods, and they act to preserve her dignity, as their later comment will evince. Why kill the whole town? Firstly, let's differentiate between explaining it and legitimizing it. Many of the Mephashim deal with how could they have done this. The Ramban, for example, explains at length why the people were worthy of death, but ends by saying that they killed them unjustifiedly. Believing aside the justification, perhaps the explanation is that they wanted to assure that no one would escape and call for help from the surrounding nations, a concern that Yaakov has and heirs later. And to avoid any blood, blood avengers go alehadam from feuding with them later on, thinking long term, and as shechem is the most respected of his household, they anticipated citywide resistance in freeing dinah, so they wanted to eliminate any possible opposition. Vayetzeu, they all exited. Closes our inclusio, which began with vateze in the beginning of the perek. Dinah went out then, and she goes out now, but it also signifies that Shimon and Levi also left the city entirely. Patsuk Chafzayim B'nei Ya'akov ba'o ala halalim ve'yavozhu ha'ir asher temme'u achotam Ya'akov's sons came upon the slain and looted the town, for they had defiled their sister. Et sonam ve'et bekaram ba'ir ve'et asher basadeh lekahu. Their sheep and their cattle and their donkeys, what was in the town and in the field, they took. Ve'et kol halam ve'et tapam ve'et shavu and all their wealth and all their young ones and their wives, they took captive and they looted everything in the house. The beginning of this Pasuk, the beginning of the Pasuk Chavzayin tells us B'nai Yaakov, Sternberg quoting the Targum Sura Yonatan explains that the exit we read about at the end of Pasuk Chavvav means that the sons of Yaakov in Pasuk Chavzayin exclude Shimon and Levi i.e., once they return home, Shimon and Levi, and the rest of the family hears that all the males were killed, these other sons of Yaakov, excluding Shimon and Levi, pillage the town. Shimon and Levi are purists. They want to avenge their sister and bring her home. Money is irrelevant, and perhaps even abhorrent, as their later comment of not treating Dinah like a harlot evinces. Why the pillaging? Asides from greed and opportunity, which may be part of their upbringing from Padanaram, the human capital needed to be taken in order to avoid their summoning help. And they may also serve as hostages in case B'nei Yaakov encounter hostilities. The Midah is also clear here. Shechem and Hamor had proposed Miknehem i.e. what they bought, the field, v'chol behemtam, the animals, halol And that corresponds to the pillaging of etzonam v'et bekaram v'et the animals, v'et asher ba'ir v'et asher in their fields, they took. The captives that they took, v'et kol tapam corresponds to the taking of Dinah as a female, Neshehem, and as a child of Yaakov, tapam, and all that was in the house, referring to the house of Shechem, where perhaps the rape happened and at least where Dinah was being detained. It's important to point out that these women that are taken captive are the same benot haaretz that began the entire affair and perhaps also have some blame for not keeping Dina away from Shechem. But even more so, they are the daughters that were going to be taken in the proposed daughter exchange. As Shechem and Hamor wrongly offered the townspeople that they would choose who to take and give, the pillaging corrects the direction of power to Yaakov's family, doing the picking and choosing. Finally, ironically, they're the same benot ta'aretz that Rivka did not want Yaakov to take as a wife. If she could not handle one more bat they are now en route home with an entire city worth of them. It's only fitting that we don't hear if Ravkaah is alive when Yaakov returns home. Pasuk Lamed And Yaakov said to Shimon and Levi, You have stirred up trouble for me, making me stink among the land's inhabitants, among Kenani and the Perizi, And I am a handful of men. If they gather against me and strike me, I shall be destroyed, I and my household. And they said, like a whore should our sister be treated? Yaakov, in his first recorded speech to any of his children, is berating Shimon and Levi. He does not direct his venom toward the other sons. It seems that the massacre is what currently occupies his thoughts and not the pillaging. He has some practical concerns of survival, and he's not addressing the morality of what they did. Perhaps he agrees in principle with their actions, if not only after the fact. The Malbim argues that the argument between Yaakov and Shimon Levi can be seen as one about what makes an effective deterrent. Yaakov believes that the show of strength will be viewed as a threat that needs to be eliminated. And Shimon Levi posits that a show of strength is the best deterrent of all. They challenge and ask Yaakov, will she be like a harlot? Which implies that were it not for their intervention, the deal would have gone through and the economics would have been part of what makes everything okay. The closing word, achotenu, strikes the major chord of the chapter. Throughout the paternal bond, the father-daughter was not active and so the brothers needed to become guardian ad litem and take on the paternal role. Hence Shechem refers to Dina as their daughter. But they now have a fraternal bond that quashes the paternal one. They have bonded as brothers in the massacre and the pillaging. And even now, once more, Jacob does not respond. He does not answer Shimon and Levi. He realizes he has begun to lose control over his sons. The children of Leah view Yaakov's action as inexcusable. When Shimon and Levi successfully kill all the townsmen, Yaakov does not acknowledge the justice of killing Shechem and even berates them for their actions the children of Leah witnessed how Yaakov, the master negotiator and tactician, remained silent when faced with Hamor's proposal. Yaakov's silence allowed them to infer that although his daughter was raped, the deal would go through if they all circumcised themselves. The family also experiences an economic shift as a result of the crisis. Economically, the massacre leaves the pillaging brothers with much wealth. Their quick riches stand in stark contrast to the wealth Yaakov amassed so painstakingly over the years This too serves to upset the familial status quo that existed until that time and only serves to further alienate the sons from their father as they grow more independent of him. Yaakov silently acquiesces to the new family order in the name of family tranquility and continues to repress his deep-seated hostile emotions for the children of Le'ah that have only grown more intense as the sons of Le'ah catapult him into an international crisis. The crisis also accentuates the difference between the children of Le'ah and the children of Rachel, and despite Yosef presumably partaking in the pillaging, the episode deepens the emotional rift both for Yaakov and for the children of Le'ah. They have already had opportunity to see Yosef as favorite when meeting up with their feared uncle Esav. The current discrimination against the daughter of Le'ah catapults Yosef out of favor with the sons of Le'ah. As will be recorded later, even before Yosef begins his grandiose dreams, the text records his association only with the sons of Bilha and Zilpah. The sons of Le'ah had already alienated him. The rape of Dinah serves as the natu- natural break-off point for such alienation. In our next shiur, we will see the immediate aftermath of the massacre and understand the impact of Rachel's death on Yaakov and his family dynamics. Till next time, Gad signing off.